Yes. Oh no, wait. Yes, yes, oh, Michael. What were we supposed to watch? Come on, man. Uh, you were supposed to watch Boogie Nights. Oh God, man, I fucked up. I fucked up, man. Did you not watch Boogie Nights? No, I watched Noogie Bites. God damn it. Where two people fight to the death. One can only noogie and one can only bite. <laughs> this is such, such a stupid show. I love doing a show with you. The noogie person won, by the way. They slowly caved in the skull of the other person. <laughs> We're noogies. Sometimes I love doing... I love doing podcasts with you. I just don't see how other people enjoy <laughs> you doing podcasts. Well, that was the idea for... So, Kings of King has the singing intro. That was my idea for a bit we could always do. It won't always be Nookie Bites, but <laughs> write in. Tell us what you thought of that bit. If that should be the official opening bit of Anders' mm-hmm. Sons, which indeed At this is. At least we try. This is us trying. <laughs> if not, we'll come up with another recurring bit that will become the opening constant and that's something for you to hold on to because on this show mm-hmm. we're covering two highly visionary directors and uh at least one of them has broad range as well so we're really all over the map here and that that's something for you to hold on to is that noogie bites <laughs> bit so remember that we gave you that because here we go it's we're Anderson's. Giving you a lot of things to hold on yeah. to is the point that's right yeah we've got, here we go we've got uh more for you to grab. I'm Michael Swaim. <laughs> I'm Abe Epperson. And this is Anders Sons, and we're talking Boogie Nights. What year, Abers? You're usually good at that. 1997. Thank you. 97's Boogie Nights 97. by Paul Thomas Anderson this time. And you may have sensed already a passive-aggressive Wes Anderson jab, but there won't be any more because we're talking PTA today, and I'm very happy. I had never seen this movie before, Abe, and I like this movie. I know. I was super excited when I was like, oh, this is the first time. First time. Mm-mm-mm-mm. First time. Because I think you, my first takeaway was, yeah. oh, this is why Quentin Tarantino wanted to make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's a vibe thing, but I feel like this is the movie that made Quentin want to make that movie. I mean, he made follow. Jackie Brown, but like, That's still, true. it's it, it's a vibe. And, um, it's a whole. I think vibe. this movie is the one that succeeds the most because of the nature of Paul Thomas Anderson and his like ensemble casts. This mm-hmm. is also the first time he really assembles what I think of when we think of, when we think of Paul Thomas Anderson. He's like the big cast and yeah. like slice of life stuff. Um, I mean, there's usually a story therein, but this one is more meandering, kind of like Magnolia that we'll soon realize. It is a. Uh, People's at the beginning are same as they are at the end. Things happen and uh, people react to it. But it, this, there's no real story in terms of like the typical story structure. Yet this guy over oh, here still it thinks it's a masterpiece. Highly, so. highly engaging, though. Yeah, Usually exactly. stuff that has no story is atonal and meandering. And you have right. to really focus up and be like, I'm watching this. Um, Boogie Nights is like a biopic because in part it is, it's aping a biopic of John Holmes, a famous porn star, but it's a fictional biopic or it's not in the documentary style, but it's sort of a mock you biopic. And Mm -hmm. in that way, it's intensely engaging in the way those can be where it's just like juicy stuff happening, you know? 
It's like a classy soap opera. It's so juicy. You can't take your eyes off of just the people bouncing off each other, fucking up their lives and then not fucking up their lives. Like it's Mm -hmm. pretty, the, the stuff happening on the broad spectrum, like you say, is just the normal trials and tribulations of life. The only thing that of course makes it unique is that they're all in the porn industry in the 1970s. So let's get into it in this show. We analyze films through three spectra, diegesis, pedagogy, and howdy do that. And uh, first up is diegesis, where we go through the movie in chronological order. I mean, it's really the meat of the cast and and pull out anything we want to, you know, we stop when there's something to dig into and dig into it. And when there's not, we don't. We just continue on with like this happened next. But as Abe and I both said before we started taping, it's like. I think it's 235, this movie, and the, yeah, it's a lot of scenes. It's It feels it's like a novel because it is an ensemble cast, and they do get a lot. They all get a lot of scenes, and all the scenes are short, and the scenes are very effective at quickly dispensing multiple things. So mm-hmm, there's a lot mm-hmm. to dive into, so I guess let's dive into it. We start with a blast of disco music, and... Very loud. I had I thought the film was silent. I don't know if he intended this for home viewing, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. was like, should there be sound now? Because the production titles are silenced. And there's actually a score under the on black okay. that he allows to finish, and then he jumps ahead. Okay, but it's very like quiet I think he's trying to do a like here's a fancy uh, feature presentation, and then and I think he's surprise. like, but then the disco it's baby, it's about yeah. fucking. Uh, I think in his heart, he's probably trying to say, like if I had to guess, he's probably trying to say, oh. I'm not what you expect. It's not high art. This is just porn, baby. Right, which is That's funny because, of doing. course, he's synonymous with high art and everything he touches is high art. But it's interesting how in multiple ways across Hard Eight and this, I can see him trying to not be pretentious. He he goes out of his way to try to not be pretentious. He, does. he just happens to be making serious art and he can't help that. You know, because I mean? we'll find out it doesn't always work on people also. Oh, sometimes people do find him pretentious, but yes. we'll get to that. Um, Blast the Disco. I had my TV cranked up, so it was truly like, whoa, all right, here we go. Boogie Nights. The movie's okay. arrived. And That's it, excellent. It's a physical neon sign prop. That is the title of the movie, (laughs) Boogie Nights. And it, I was so in from Jump because of this opening shot, which is a a one. Okay. It doesn't, it's, I hate that we love Wanners so much and that it always works. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it doesn't always works. It works when you use it well. And he uses Mm -hmm. it well. It's another glorious wonder in the long line of glorious wonders. So it's not so much that it's a wonder to me. It's the mm-hmm. size differences that he's able to accomplish. So the camera yeah. like tilts drunkenly away and composes into a perfect, simple follow shot laterally of a car going right to left. And then we like swoop around and go into it becomes a close up of Luis Guzman. That's what gets me is that we were on a crane shot of a car going by and it's now a steady we're on a, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And now we're at a close up of Guzman as Maurice. Um, right. And it, we just <clears throat> introduced the club that harkens to the like old days, MGM, you know, mm-hmm. like those early films, they did a lot of uh, moves that would change the frame size. Uh, Spielberg does it a lot could. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that we don't do as much in movies. And I noticed like 
TV has never really done it. Um, there's been a little bit of it uh, in some specific programming. I'm not saying that we've lost it as a uh, you know cinema culture, but it is something that you almost do notice now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So everyone in this, I would say this another thing this movie does well in terms of storytelling for biopic purposes is boils everyone down to a few key character traits. Um, like Dirk Diggler is not so much a well-rounded character. He still has nuance, but just one shade of nuance. You know what I mean? He's right. the porn star who thinks he's hot shit, but deep down also struggles with thinking he's not hot shit. Um, that's not that complex. He just relentlessly is that Jack is relentlessly like paternal wants to be a real artist, but isn't mm-hmm. and fears he, you know, there's a lot of that going on. So my point is we get this tour around the nightclub and we meet all the characters and we basically get their deal and their deal is going to stay their yeah. deal for the whole movie. So right. still in the first shot, we get to see, uh, John C. Riley, who plays a guy named Reed, trying to impress everyone, which is his whole deal the whole movie. We meet Don Cheadle, who his whole deal the whole movie is... He's trying he's to find something. Trying to find a look. He's concerned yeah. that his, he's like, do you like this cowboy look? I like it. Luis Guzman's like, wear whatever you dig, baby. And he's whatever, like, if well, you I love like it, man, it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you will realize as you watch the film that like Don Cheadle finding his look is his whole arc, basically. There's a real positivity within this community. You really do For get the sure. sense that they're family. You get the sense that porn people are supportive of each other in the same way that theater kids are always supportive of each other. They just mm-hmm. happen to bone also. Um, mm-hmm. Roller just like girl, theater kids. <laughs> Heather Graham, yeah, skates through the club and has to go pee. So she's like overtly forward about things that are usually private and also never takes her skates off. That will be her whole deal throughout the movie. Um, I and- love that there's a shot earlier. I just wanted to say that mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds... Uh, who plays the character Jack Horner? Uh, he, when he walks into the club, he can he zeroes right in on Mark Wahlberg, and they have like a, a like a meet cute moment. And I love the idea is that like I like the idea that Burt Reynolds didn't actually know Mark Wahlberg before this, like in the characters. So like that is the scene where like Burt Reynolds is like sensing that Mark Wahlberg has a huge dick. Like he's just a busboy in the club, right? Yeah, he totally so, is though. That is the way the shot is that's, treated. Which I think. Makes, gives this kind of film a magical realism that is just funny to me. Well, like I think it might be a joke that it didn't like pull off as a joke. It's beyond that because there's literally like a an effect that he does, a lensing effect where, and this is still the first shot of the movie, the Steadicam settles in on a close, you know that- Yeah, there's a flare, yeah. You know that um, Jack Horner is staring at Eddie Adams, the busboy played by Mark Wahlberg, and we settle on a close of him and the lights behind him become stars. Yeah. And like he yeah. looks magic and glittery and mm-hmm. then we- cut and if you follow that is the inciting incident because everything that happens from this point on is based on the fact that jack took notice of this kid with a huge dick and decided to cast him so this Mm. is even though we don't know it yet because we don't understand the meaning of the look this look is the inciting incident of our story and it's the first cut of the film like the first time film yep, actually cuts. It's the first time it actually so cuts. cool. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right that I don't, 
in realistic terms, I don't understand. Is he just he saying knows? you're handsome or is he thinking that guy has a huge ass dick? Well, every time we're confronted, <laughs> every time we're confronted with Wahlberg's dick in the movie, mm -hmm. like conceptually or actually it's magic. Uh, it is. It's it's perceived as magic. Like yeah. he is designed for porn mm -hmm. in so many ways. Like he's real. like, we're going to find out in later scenes. He's really good at it. He's really like conscientious lover. Like he, there's he's just really things good that at coming over and over to be yeah. in order to be the greatest porn star of all time. But he happened to be, it's almost like mm -hmm. destiny plucked him and said you for this moment. Yeah. Um, we also meet little bill played by William H Macy who comes by. So like you said, yeah, the full, and then finally in the middle of the movie yeah. when we and get And this is another Phillip stacked fucking well, cast. Right. When we finally get Philip Seymour Hoffman, I'm like, okay, we're complete, complete set of action figures. The PTA mm -hmm. set is complete. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, William Macy comes by to talk to Jack about the shoot. And that's when you sort of start to pick up, oh, they're film directors. And you kind of get the vibe. Oh, I think they're porn directors. You know, they make porn. Uh, right. It's sort of where you start to gather it. Jack wanders off into the back room. And uh, I don't mean to dominate. I just want to say, because I'm doing it more than usual. I'm taking the lead yeah. on this because Abe made such robust notes that he warned me. I'm that scared. He He's scared it'll take I'll too long. He, yeah. I'll jump in. But but I'll like jump in, but I jump in liberally. Um, okay. So he goes to the back room and he's like chatting with this guy whose name turns out to be Eddie Adams. And we reveal that Dirk, I'm sorry, his name's Eddie still right now. Eddie slash Mark Wahlberg Eddie, yeah. lets guys watch him jerk off for 10 bucks because his dick is so huge. And he, and he asks, oh, your dick's really huge? Yeah. Uh, you can, you've been doing that tonight already? Yeah. And you can do it now again. And he goes, yeah, I can come like again and again. It's no big deal <laughs> if you give me a minute. And uh, he goes, well, okay, why don't you come sit with me at the table? And he goes, I can't. I got to, I'm working. And he says, well, mm -hmm. I got a feeling beneath those jeans, there's something wonderful just waiting to get out. So and he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It's literally the Mr. Show sketch in the bathroom where the yeah, guy's yeah, like, yeah, emotion yeah. lotion. And yeah. he's, you got it, kid. Um, uh, we mm -hmm. kind of cut to Jack Horner grinding some pills and Burt getting Reynolds, drinks. If we didn't say. Br yeah, yeah. And so and then we see kind of the other side of like, there's all this positivity and fun and the music in this movie is constant in terms of like diegetic music in this movie is it's a, the lifeblood of, by the, the way, the it's film. almost, it isn't literally, but it's like an alternate soundtrack from GTA Vice City. Just that, yeah, that really is, is the soundtrack of this movie. Right. And it really makes you, it's such a good job of establishing tone. Cause we went to this absolute banger where it was like okay here's club life Saturday night and then we jump to yeah. like kind of the other side of their life which is the drugs um, but it's also the swank like den culture like once mm -hmm. upon a time in Hollywood like chilling in an opulent yeah. den yeah. smoking cigars inside and shit right in a conversation pit kind of vibe yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we're introduced to Amber slash Maggie because people have name change uh, who's played by Julianne Moore who's kind of um, PTA like J yeah, yeah, another PTA uh, veteran. <laughs> yeah. And she plays uh, she plays a porn actress that is like, you get the feeling girlfriend is the, probably the proper uh, title. The closest to Jack or like Jack, the grand yeah. dame of They're the house. They're like very yeah. connected, yeah. And she's calling about her child who's been taken from her in a divorce. Um, 
so you get this bleak picture immediately of people doing drugs, being in the porn culture, but also having these past lives. Um, we see uh, little people all are, all are, are all getting home, which is a nice little touch. Um, just one of those kind of things where there's like cadence between the cuts or there's kind of consistency. Uh, it's almost scrubs. Like the movie does this a few yeah. times where they're like, let's go around the horn and check in with everyone right. doing the same thing. They're all blank. They're all getting home from work. They're all getting They're home. All I kind of think of them as like yeah. pedigree shots. Cause it's like, it pays from the thing before it, before it, before it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, like we, we also see little bill, uh, William H. Macy gets home as well to find his wife fucking who's played by Nina Hartley, the porn star. Uh, it's, like, yeah, I don't know. She makes him she's sleep on the, the pool couch. Boy. Yes. Uh, Eddie gets home as well. And well, he's I just, just a, oh, we yeah, glossed yeah. over that. I just want to say it's like, it's importantly not a consensual cucking. <laughs> like, yes, his oh, wife yes. constantly cheats on him, rubs it in his face. That's their thing. Moving yeah, on. Yeah, he's very sad about it. Yeah. Uh, William H. Macy's saddest role. <laughs> when Eddie gets home, we see that he's. Just a 17-year-old boy with posters of women, cars, rock and Bruce roll Lee. on the wall. Bruce Lee. He loves Bruce Lee. He does karate moves uh, in the mirror. And he, as he's getting undressed, we don't. he doesn't take off his underpants, but we see huge bulge. It is verified for us, the audience, that he does have a huge hog. So mm -hmm. that, you know, we act one. Big old hog. And yeah. then I thought almost... Almost like the PTA's version of rushing through exposition, because it just mm -hmm. seemed the mom, I think, is kind of the weakest character in this. The played yes. well, but the mom is so like a PSA after school special. Like she's just there to functionally get him the it fuck is, out of the house. Yeah. Uh, um, so I want to go into that a lot, but yeah, yeah, yeah let's just leave it Breakfast that. the next morning, his mom is like a very archetypical cold domineering mother the dad tries to and dad is an archetypical wimp yeah, milk yeah. Toast. like the dad tries to kiss her and she's like don't kiss me when you haven't shaved yeah Sorry, kind honey. of neutered kind of concept i guess is a way of saying it um yeah he wants like not incapable of challenging her in any not way porn star his dad is not yeah. porn star it's, and <laughs> it's setting up archetypes archetypes in a, very, a very heteronormative yeah. way and his mom hates his mom's very prim and proper, right? She rejects a kiss. She doesn't like sex. She thinks girls who have sex are sluts and whores. So yeah. anti-sex, puritanical environment. Mm -hmm. um, and he just quietly gets through breakfast, right? Yeah. And they endure. Though she's cooking for both of mom. them. She's clearly trying, trying to push him towards school. It's like a complex kind of portraiture of, you know, like, I would argue wasp culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then we cut to Buck Swope, who's Don Cheadle. Who uh, stacked cast? Very, yeah, it's in, you get to the end, man. I mean, at the point at which Tom Jane walks in, and Tom you're like, Jane just walks Tom in. Tom Jane's in the movie now, and then yeah. Alfred Molina later than that. Later than that. <laughs> My like, favorite is the, when we actually get to Tom Jane because Phil Baker Hall enters, and it's like a whole fucking like orchestra, like right. movements of music happen. And you go, oh fuck, it's Phil Baker Hall, and then it's just like Tom Jane just arrives in the next Hello, scene. Hello, like, oh shit! It's just like throwing random people at you, and you're just like, now that, now that. 
Yeah, so it's amazing. Buck is trying to hard sell a guy on a high-end stereo system at the store where he works. He fails because he uses country music. I We got to speak to this, man. It's a good it's, scene. It's funny. It's a good, they're all good scenes. Um, <laughs> and the boss chews him out like, why the fuck did you try and use country music to sell him? <laughs> yeah, and he's no like, because I'm a that cowboy. Shit. That's my thing. Yeah. I'm a black cowboy. And he's like, no he one wants that. just loves it. No one knows why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, cut to roller girl at school. Uh, can't basically encapsulating her deal which is uh she tries to take a test but the test is too hard she can't face it and she can't face that at school all the boys uh well i mean all the boys are not a monolith i guess but they're represented by this one by shitty one boy guy. Yeah. who turns back and does you know aggressive blowjobs signals to her mm-hmm. uh and she gets fed up and leaves. There's no dialogue in the whole scene, which is cool, but you get the impression, ah, this is the day it she's like- It has repercussions. Like, you know, in her head, she's like, fuck this shit, I'm done with school. Which is she skates the away. kind of starting line for the other, one of the other major themes of the movie, which we get into later, just in terms of like the 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 idea of you being involved in porn is uh, stigmatized. Well, it's interesting insanely. because she goes from this to a sex scene where she feels- extremely comfortable and it's positive. Mm. And I think it also is an attempt to contextualize. You can even be, you can be a naked porn star fucking all the time. That doesn't mean it's cool for a guy in a context where you didn't consent Mm. to aggressively be sexual at you. And just in general trying to demean you. you. I mean, that's what she says later. Like you, like I forget what the actual line is, but it's essentially, yeah, you you don't disrespect me. me, You piece of shit. You don't disrespect me. Yeah. She's kind of taking out all of her um, energy or and hatred we're on one. So far from dude. there, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to set up, set him up, yeah. set him up. So, um, uh, Eddie, we cut to Eddie Adams fucking his girlfriend Cheryl Lynn. She tells him his cock is magic. He's so good at fucking, she can't believe it. He says, yep, everyone's blessed with one special thing. You know what, Sherilyn? I'm going to be a bright, shining star. That's what I want. That's what I'm going to get. So, mm-hmm. man, it's a tale as old as time. Young man sets out to make his for- way in the world and make his fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens to be he's, he's going like, to be a star someday. My dick is big. That is my key. That's my one special thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, back at the club, Jack tells Roller Girl to go blow Eddie in the back, or we assume because it's kind of just whispered in her ear. Mm-hmm. And I assume also that the, the whole point is to report back. Is his dick to, as magic as it seems? Yeah, yeah. which m- implies the way the cavalierness that all of this like is organized gives you the impression that this is commonplace. Like, oh, there might be a new guy. We'll get. We'll just go blow him. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately after we just you know cut to the chase. He's now works now done. And Jack, Maggie, Roller Girl, Roller Girl, uh, all kind of pull up uh, in their car to pick him up and take him to a diner where they have a conversation where Jack tells Eddie about how complex film shoots are and that they're also lucrative. Well, but and, mainly we get his thing, which is that he wants to be a real artist. Right. That's his deal. Yeah. That's kind of his thrust. Also in the scene, we get Julianne Moore kind of, you know, lustfully looking at him. Everyone is like there's a gravity to Eddie in this movie. All right. Stop down. Not the not the podcast, just that conversation. I don't know why I use that phraseology. Um, I wanted your opinion on those weird drifting shots at the diner that 
are Amber looking at Eddie and sort of deciding I'm going to be, I'm going to, I love this boy or this is my surrogate son is what I, Uh in retrospect, realize the moment is. But what do you think is the impetus behind that choice of those weird drifting to the side shots? What does that mean? Why drift to the side? Why drift to the side? Um, I have to know exactly what you're talking about, to be honest. Well, there's these shots where they're normal centered close-ups and then it laterals Mm -hmm. to the side on... Wahlberg's side and it puts the third where your right. eyes want to fall more on his hand because so sh- his hand is like out in space and then it so cuts like kind to, of short frames him yeah. it cuts to her and it short frames her and puts a bunch of empty space and her hand is mm-hmm. in focus well I mean short framing for people like that's putting someone like that deals with their eyeline right so that deals with like where they're looking outside of the frame. And then if you choose to put someone boxed in, like you put them against the, you know, canvas wall, so to speak, the frame, uh, you're short framing them as opposed to what's typically done, which is that they're on the other third, uh, looking on and they have a lot of distance in the frame between like where their head is and where the person that they're talking to, it's kind of just an aspect of, you know, how you shoot coverage. And I think that typically traditionally yeah, short frame is space behind their head physically. Yeah, exactly. And typically short frame is done for a multitude of reasons. Cause it's just a, you know, a way in which to frame someone, but sometimes it's been used as like, you're, uh, you're short sighted or you don't have the full picture. That's one thing people will do. Other times it's to be like, we don't see what they see. And I think it's closer to that. Like the subject sees something that us as the audience or other characters just truly don't see. And I think it's really I also coming sometimes from the thing. I think it's used in the comics book way where that's the empty space where you think their thought bubble would go like it's meant to actually visualize that you the audience should focus more on their mental space than on their uh, their lips and eyes equally as good as any of the reasons i gave in the case that i'm the reason i'm mentioning it is that like going back to uh eddie is magic um just in terms of like when everyone like he's like a drug you know in a way like as soon as you know, uh, what we typically do when we show someone, you know, doing cocaine for the first time or something, we like dolly in, we close in their world or we do a uh, zoom dolly and expand it. There's always a movement. And I think that those movements are instigated by everyone is falling in love with Eddie, uh, especially mm-hmm. Julianne Moore. Um, and I and, think it's yeah. so fascinating that PTA clearly can identify with Jack Horner, or I don't think there's any other reason to put these words in his mouth uh, that this is, this must be interesting to PTA that, that, that he and a porno director share this because Jack says, it is my dream to make a film that is true and right and dramatic. And I'm like, that's what PTA is trying to do with this very film we're watching right now. Yeah. yeah I like yeah. that. There's a little, yeah. And there's a little bit of that later when he's actually making the film too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I think he can't help himself. That's one of the reasons that I think he's, uh, we should throw some shade on him for being pretentious. Um, He likes to He likes to make films about craftsmen and craftspeople. Hey, if I'm going to come at Wes Anderson for being pretentious because of stylistic choices, I definitely think I need to come at uh, P.T. Anderson for writing in the, uh, his life as a theme. He is talking Um, about himself often through his yes. um yes. allegories like mm-hmm. i phantom thread is about his himself and his own creative process i think there will be blood appeals to him in a way where it's about he's it's about reckoning with his own power as the author mm-hmm. 
I do think PTA is often talking about himself, and this is no exception. But anyway, they go back to Jack's house. They agree to do business together. Um, there's a run of lines I like, which goes as follows. You want to do it? Have sex? Oh, yeah. Roller girl, come sit here on the couch next to Eddie. Here we go. Are we going to fuck? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just like the way Burt Reynolds says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she says, I don't take my skates off and don't fucking come in me. And he goes, oh, okay. And they bomb. Um, Eddie immediately comes home to his drunk mom calling his girlfriend trash. Um, she it gets pretty. This is the part that made me go like, so All right, stereotypical. stereotypical. Yeah. She screams, "You're a loser, and you'll always be a loser." Um, it is. It does hurt though. It's brutal. It, the performance makes you really. This uh, scene is talked about in like film schools. Yeah. It's a melodramatic scene, right? It's very uh, it's, melodramatic. But uh, when Mark Wahlberg has spit dribbling down his face and screams, "Please don't do that. Just please don't be mean to me." That's right. very pathos laden it's legitimately bad in in that sense is that it's being overacted i think it's brilliant no i'm saying it's gut-wrenching i'm saying it's very okay a lot of people criticize this for being wooden yeah i'll book i'll book ear it i mean the circumstances are definitely pathos oriented but like the the two actors i don't know it's just something that i guess i've i've read and is that people think well I don't think Wahlberg is ever transcendently talented as an actor in this <clears throat> or ever in anything really, but, um, yeah, but he certainly I, I, fits the role fine. Like he looks like a handsome young cut of mm-hmm. meat, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think he does show range by the end of this movie, but I think he was Some, cast very specifically yeah. for a very bright eyed, bushy tail kind of dummy i'll you tell know? you who i've never given credit though that this movie mm-hmm. did completely turn me around on tom jane fucking owns in this movie fucking kills in so this movie, much yeah. range that i thought he didn't have i always thought <laughs> tom jane tom could jane. only play stern normal man and uh this is like the giggling we'll get there um yeah. so uh she says that is not your stuff because you didn't pay for it stupid you leave here with what you've got nothing nothing and he says i'm not stupid and she says yes you are like it is it's pretty basic dialogue mm-hmm. um he runs away and takes the bus to Into jack's, jack's place. arms yeah. jack introduces him to the crew and he's gonna be a porn guy now we meet buck we who we already landed. know we meet mm-hmm. Reed, who's new to us. This is John God, C. Riley. Such a great like. Uh, this is also the heyday, just in terms of Diegesis talking about how the films are, you know, constructed. Uh, there's just a v- long shot that's just the two of them in profile talking about stuff, and they talk about how much each other can squat if they've seen Star Wars. It's a pissing okay. contest, but it's all just done in a single shot. That's like and what one you'll of the find things. out is Reed's deal is. He is constantly trying to one up you, and uh, but he doesn't mean anything mean by it. It's a very yeah, he, unique, exactly. fun character. He's super supportive, but he also wants to he's, beat you at everything. He's competitive. He's super threatened. His, his insecurity yeah, is not yeah. being good enough, so he needs to be like think of himself as on top. But he doesn't wish you harm. Right. And if you can, you can also be great. He's just going to remind you that he's great. Yeah. So the run of lines that I thought was worth quoting is what do you squat about two super super what do you squat i'm sorry what what do you squat oh 350 (laughs) wow yeah yeah it's no bs that's a lot well (laughs) 
<laughs> I just yeah. is his obvious playing it's just with obvious it. lies. People, uh, people tell me I look. You seen that Star Wars movie? Yeah, about four times. Why you like it? Well, people tell me I look like Han Solo. <laughs> Yeah, John C. Riley. Oh yeah, and he yeah. says Han Solo. Yeah. Um, they refuse to tell one another how much they bench, which is right. Roller Girl takes a Polaroid picture to transition scenes. Uh, I'll also shout out since we're trying to get to know these directors and their bags of tricks better. PTA sure loves them a close up shot of a flash bulb. Oh my god, there's like five. Oh my god. I mean, it, yeah, it's more of just photo. He's introducing. Photos are always being taken. They got they're loose with media. Why? Because they're filming. All I mean, the time. across multiple films, not just. But this yeah, movie. you're right. He loves. He does um, love. He loves the mechanizations of filmmaking, like most filmmakers. He loves do. shots of camera parts mm. and cameras I mean, functioning. Yeah, which even is Michael so, Bay does that shit. That's so you know, humorously like, obvious to me that you're like, it's you know what's interesting to me? <sighs> this tool that I look at and use all day. <laughs> Dude, you spend all your time with it. Like, I understand it. I understand it because I'm in it. I've spent a lot of my, you know, working life like, as, you know, like, a in camera this process. really is a metaphor for life. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Like, and so you do is shit ev- like that. That's so totally, is everything. Everything is, dude. It's totally bullshit, but you totally believe it. Why? Because it's all your life is. Imagine your life completely differently where everything is focused on film. You're going to draw conclusions. Everyone gets what we're saying. I don't need to talk anymore. It's great. (laughs) This is why we do this. Um, Another rich old porno guy arrives with his young lady friend and says hi to Jack. The Colonel! You slowly learn that his name is The Colonel and that he funds the movies. So good. He's the executive producer. So, um... Mm -hmm. Uh, the young woman he's with says, is, is there any Coke at this party? And just like desperately looks for Coke. To do Coke yeah. <laughs> uh, the way that Burt Reynolds talks, I think bears repeating. So I like earlier, he says to Amber, I love you, honey tits sleep beautiful. And in this scene, he says, Oh, I'm sure they can find you some Coke. You're no bigger than a minute. Are you shy yeah. as a butterfly? <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of wholesome. He's kind of wholesome in his southern yeah, kindness. He's got a fifties, you know, yeah. vernacular going on. Yeah. Pool party. We have a crazy pool party. We get to see what it's like to, you know, have a fucking Hollywood Hills pool party mm-hmm. at a porn producer's house in the seventies. Uh, mm-hmm. Becky tells Buck his cowboy shit is old and tired. <laughs> he gets mad and storms <laughs> off. Mad. Yeah, that's so great. Luis uh, Guzman, go ahead. Guzman is trying to get uh, into the. There's a running gag about he wants to get in the porn films as an actor, which is pretty clearly like he just wants to fuck porn stars. Uh, and but cr- he's always denied. But they're very kind to him. His, they're like, yeah, the running absolutely. joke is he will be an extra in many of the porn movies, but he's never right. fucking. He just right? wants to get involved or whatever, yeah. but he never gets involved he's just he just runs the nightclub and they love him um eddie and reed compare jumps off the diving board which is like huge stepbrother vibes yeah right he goes let me show you you what you did wrong there (laughs) like he's basically the same character john c Riley, in his you know infantile like insecurities and some of the jokes are just as good as stepbrothers yeah yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) um a camera follows a girl into the pool and goes underwater because that's the other thing pta has to put in every movie yeah if you look for it you'll never unsee it uh and then Mm -hmm. Uh, We get another beat of little Bill finds his wife getting fucked on the ground outside this time with people gathered around watching in a basketball court. People in the driveway watching. with yeah. a basketball hoop at the end of the driveway. It's a real yeah. big offer. Well, and we get I w- the- I'll tell you, I went, 
I was at a beach once in San Diego. It was a nude, mm-hmm. like nudity was allowed, but mm-hmm. I saw a crowd. Of, it was the exact same shot. Like I saw a crowd of people gathered around, wandered watching over, and they were watching a porn be filmed. Yeah, it's like, kind of culty. Like two or three feet away, just watching just a watching porno be filmed. People. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Well, this wasn't a porno. Well, I guess it was because someone brought a camera. I got the vibe that someone just wanted to fuck on the basketball That's court. true. No, but I guess. we don't really know. That's an assumption by me. We don't know. Little no, it's Bill not White, a shoot. Bill's You're wife. right. But as this movie will. I thought someone might have had a camera, but I don't know. As this movie will trace the arc of, eventually, couldn't you, you know, nowadays you would say anyone fucking in front of a phone is a porno. But at this mm-hmm. time, a porno meant a film that you hired a bunch of dudes you to hired, stand yeah. around and shoot with film. There's yeah. a way it's shot. Yeah. So you're like right. They're not shooting a porno. She is just being fucked I mean, in the driveway. Yeah. She's, and, um, it kind of feels that way. But And uh, basically the Ricky Jay, who's a famous magician that PTA loves to cast for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, he plays, he's also in Deadwood, dude. He's I know. He fucking he plays rules. Kurt, the... Uh, what would he be? The DP, uh, which yeah, has he's, another, he's the another meaning in the porn world. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he's yeah, director of photography. The joke is he comes to, it's basically just a bit. He's like, Hey Bill, I want to talk about the shooting and Bill yeah. can't focus. Cause in the background, his wife's getting fucked. That's the joke. Right. Um, what is funny to me is it's an uncut shot. And I suspect that William H. Macy misspoke and they left it in because it was the best take. But at yes. one point, William H. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they, he actually flubbed his line, yeah, but he says, they kept it in because says, they were like, that's believable that he'd flub his line. He says, listen, Kurt, my fucking wife's got an ass in her cock in the driveway. I don't want to talk yeah. about the photography for the fucking shoot. And It's ass perfect, in her kind cock. of. She's yeah, got it's an kind ass of in her cock. Uh, what he I love about up. this mm-hmm. after he storms off is that Ricky, the, the film cuts a little later than is needed just to show kind of like a bookend oh, joke that Ricky, Ricky then Jake joins everyone keeps walking towards them as if he's going to go watch. He's going to go watch. Like everyone is oblivious to what's your deal, man. Like, and then look, there's some, your shit. wife wants to fuck a lot of dudes. Did you not figure that out? Like, did you not talk that out with her? I'm sorry. Cause that's, what's going to happen. Then there's you some know? shit that is as poignant and forceful as anything in Lewin Davis, which is, uh, Maurice <laughs> is hanging out with Buck, telling him to wear whatever you want, man. And being really supportive. And there's a phone call and they go and he answers and he goes, you want Maggie? And he calls Ugh, around the house, Maggie, Maggie, someone's calling for Maggie. And no one answers. So he goes, I'm sorry, kid. No one here is named Maggie and hangs up. And we drift over to where Julianne Moore is too coked out of her mind and fantasizing about fucking Dirk to yeah. notice that her son called her back. That was her yeah, son Yeah, her call. child. And yeah. her friends don't really know her name. They think her name's Amber. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like so many stacked up things that just makes for a... Oh. Fairly complex and just ultimately tragic moment. Um, In another room, and, the lady friend yeah. OD'd on coke. You can take this scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The colonel, uh, the woman that the colonel brought, uh, the very tiny lady, uh, OD's on coke. Uh, and that's kind of like, you kind of get the vibe. There's a lot of blood. Uh, I mean, I guess it's of note, the guy that... He, uh, she was fucking mm-hmm. uh, it's the second time someone's OD'd on him like you just get a very kind of once again cavalier like this is business as usual hopefully she doesn't die 
nothing this is really the second comes chicken, with it. two days it's, it's OD'd on me. Well, maybe you ought to get some different shit, huh? Right. You get the feeling that like people just OD in this world and sometimes they're fine and sometimes they die and mo- things just move on. Specifically, there is the sense of yeah, always moving on, on because co. that scene, which is a very hefty scene and the, the, the remainder of the film has even bigger scenes and offers in terms of people that di- murders and you know, stuff like that, that you do get a feeling that like PT Anderson is cutting abruptly to the next thing. And you just never consider it like you as the viewer, because he's distracting you with constant barrage of new information. You never mm. realize, Oh, how did that all resolve? No, no, they're discussing how it's resolved, but they don't like land on anything. And it's just you get this vibe that they're uh, they can make stuff like this go away, I guess. Yeah. Although not everything. We're introduced really to uh, Hoffman's character, Scotty, in the next scene, who also has eyes for Eddie. He works as a member of the crew. You can tell he's Um, attracted to Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. And then the colonel is actually introduced to Eddie. And Uh, they cut to a slow motion close up of them shaking mm -hmm. hands. Which mm-hmm. I just want to mention, I called out in Heart Eight. It's definitely a PTA thing. It's another one of his tropes, exactly. Yeah. Good eye. Uh, so when the colonel meets Eddie, they talk about a name change. He also sees to ask his, uh, or he, yeah, he sees. He also see uh, asks to see his cock. Uh, so Eddie shows it to him, and the colonel thanks him. I love. It's that. very. I love that back and forth. He thanks him, but then he looks up at camera with a look of delirium in his eyes, like he yeah, just saw the madness. face of an angel. <laughs> yeah, it's like he has absolute madness. It's like wow, wow. wow and that I think was a you're supposed to say like everyone feels like you, we're really gonna make money now. The only or something thing I like could that. write in my notes is the colonel looks gobsmacked. I think is the correct yeah, word by the size of That's Eddie's a great cock. Word. Yeah. Uh, later Later in the night, the party's kind of been over and they're in the spa, so it's kind of the VIP party. Eddie says that he sees a name when he closes his eyes and it's in neon lights and explodes and it's Dirk Diggler, uh, which of course is a perfect name. So Jack Horner is, you know, Burt Reynolds is basically that is you are God's gift to pornography. Everything that you say is gold, <laughs> which so far has been true. Um, Reed um, also writes poems and songs. You forgot God, to mention. That's, yeah, that's I love the you. You throw love me. Line at the beginning of that scene, Going where he's like, "Yeah, I write tree. poems." Mm-hmm. God, there's such that. That's another Step Brothers moment. They're just yep. like best friends immediately. Uh, now we cut to it. We're filming porn. We see the crew assembled. I love the AD talking through the porn. I've never worked on pornog- uh, pornographic films, but. Uh, I assume there is something similar to this. You know, it is a professional film set. So I love AD the mundane minutiae of it. But like, where, where yeah. are you going? I got to wash my vagina. You want to clean, don't you? Right, Shit right. Like that. Yeah. yeah, all the... Uh, but I'm talking about specifically the AD, who's kind of the, uh, for people who don't know, an assistant director, is uh, the first in particular, is always someone who kind of keeps time and kind of has the plan of the day. So it's just making sure people make the day. And one of their duties is to kind of go over with the heads of department. This is what we're doing next. And this is what we're planning on in the near future. And like, we're trying to get ahead on later in the day. So it's all very protocol based. And, uh, 
Paul Thomas Anderson takes great advantage of the fact that this is probably done. This is probably not too much of an exaggeration, but I'm sure they're definitely playing it for comedic effect. But William H. Macy talking through the porn is legitimately hilarious. Like he says, like, okay, then uh, they walk over to this side and they fuck there and then they walk over there and then they fuck there. And it's just like the process of the shots is so workmanlike that it makes you kind of go, oh, that's fun. Um I don't know. It's just a nice little touch that is surprisingly to me interesting because it's also fairly close well, to he probably says the they truth. Go at it. Then they they're going to then That's they're right. going to go to this scene and they go at it. Then uh, she goes to right. jerk off and she walks in on her and they go at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Hoffman retrieves uh, Dirk from his dressing Hoffman's room. Hoffman's their PA. Scotty's yeah. their PA. He's sound guy PA. Well, yeah. he absentmindedly sucks on the end of a pen and we're like, we right. get it. He's secretly uh, gay. We understand We PTA. learn he's doing a scene with Julianne Moore mm-hmm. uh, and they discuss the process of sex and what they're comfortable with. I like this little extra touch as well because I'm not sure in the 70s it was really done this warm courteous and communicative mm-hmm. uh between uh oh you yeah know, it's really sweet how they support film each other. actors they're really supportive i think it's another little thing where they're trying to say or like pta is trying to say dirk diggler is a gift to porn like he is naturally warm courteous and, and communicative consent oriented yeah he yeah, he, he, yeah julian moore is like they they just like they do it like workman like they're very professional. They pre agree that he'll vi- come the on the vibe her tits. we get. Yeah, uh, yeah. He says, seems, uh, "I like." Yeah, yeah. He says, "Is it okay if I really try and make it look sexy? Would that be okay?" <laughs> she goes, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." It's like they're they're like something we see a lot is that uh, P.T. Anderson likes to show his characters as a little like dumb, naive. Right? They're, I would say naive more dumb. specifically than dumb. Yeah. Maybe I I just I do get a little bit of dummy vibes like he's trying to make people specifically like simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, then we because that's a simplistic effort. We that's like a simplistic thing to say to see seventies style footage of them shooting the porn, which I just need to point out is we are watching them and the plot of the porn they're shooting is about an aspiring actor. So we're watching them shoot a scene about an aspiring porn actor. In a film called Boogie Nights about an aspiring porn actor starring Mark Wahlberg in one of his first roles, and he's an aspiring actor, so he must resonate with all this shit. I just think it's interesting, all those levels there. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Everyone's amazed by his dick. We see Ricky J pan down and zoom in on his dick. He's like, like we oh. see the camera action movement mm-hmm. and we're like, he's zooming in on his dick. And, and he's mm-hmm. super helpful. He's willing to do it again. Everyone's just being really helpful and positive. Well, that's the other thing is uh, it feels so good that Amber's like, no, come inside me. So he does. And then they're like, unfortunately, we didn't get a cum shot, though, because you came inside her, which is all right, right. but it's not ideal. And he goes, well, if you want the close up, I could just come again on her tits right now. And they're like. You're a machine. You're the best porn you're star. Like, you know, you're the God. special boy. Yeah, it's you're the neo of porn stars. It's a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to more nights at the club, meeting people. One of these uh, montages that kind of is peppered everywhere in these in this film. Uh, well, the, uh, we hard cut to champagne shooting out of a bottle to represent Dirk's second orgasm, which I do like. Sure. But right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think these scenes are what PTA is more or less known for, like energetic traversing through larger spaces with a lot of people. Uh, Cause the all the scenes are kind of cute. Yeah. Their conversations are mundane. Uh, 
but they lead to more mon- montage and they give you a great sense of the world and like the many part like functioning parts of this party um i think perfect example more- is uh they cut to them and they just are wearing matching shirts and the line mm-hmm. on the cut is you know it's funny you say that because we should be in a band i love with yeah so you get so much information from that instantaneously mm-hmm. really good more adult film work. He's getting press. Dirk Diggler's growing. Yeah. There's photo shoots, disco dancing. I love that they just take their moment to be like, and disco happens. So mm-hmm. everyone got really good at dancing, disco dancing. Because yeah. of course these people would be good at that. They'd be they're good like at whatever's fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're all choreographed doing the dance in like a nightclub. I liked the four way uh, split screen that showed. Mm-hmm. reviews of Dirk Diggler whipping by letter by letter as it was read, which must have been, if you follow me, like a huge roll of tape or something swiping right. by the lens. That's so cool. Like what a weird idea mm-hmm. to get that shot. It's like yeah. a close up of a single line of typed text whipping by eternally the whole time. Yeah. Just had to get this huge, like, I think they probably just typed it on a really long piece of paper. Yeah. Probably pulled it at a constant speed and yeah. then, yeah, um, um, maybe through, maybe on an eight track reeler, like the way you would edit film or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, whatever you call it, the spinny. Anyway, uh, he sweeps the second annual adult film awards. He's truly a famous porn star. Now Reed and Dirk pitch Jack on a James Bond type series of about a guy named Brock Lander, who's James Bond, but he fucks. And he agrees to and let John them write it Riley's out. Riley's character, Chest Brockwell. Chest Brockwell, yeah. Um, and at the uh, Adult Film Awards, he gives an acceptance speech saying that porno makes things better and it's not dirty, it's good. And he's going to keep on rocking and rolling and he loves the community. And <laughs> he does and a, rolling, man. He does a Bruce Lee kick and he bows. So yeah. it's, I mean, it all honestly reminds me of... Uh, the Lonely Island Jam pop star never stop, never stopping because yeah, it's yeah. just like we're famous, we're getting famous, you know what I mean? And we see a trailer for the Brock Landers porno. We see a big party at Dirk's new house. He's rich, uh, you know, on his own. He's rich now. Uh, Reed does magic tricks at the party. Dirk shows off his portrait of himself, like a terribly painted portrait of him, and his monogram, mm-hmm. his monogram drapes that just have giant D's <laughs> on them. By the um, way, that uh, that uh, painting sold for like twenty five hundred dollars. That's they... not even that much. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so good. It's like yeah. a shitty painting you almost could have owned if you really liked this movie and had money. Uh, yeah, he's and basically it's through the guise of him. This part of the montage, this is all one musical montage, is through the guise of him touring Amber around his new house, and we get these interesting jump cut crossfades that I thought were very. Weird. I don't fully understand the meaning behind them, but we see his Asian dojo, uh, his new orange Corvette, uh, more Brock Landers mm. movies. This time Maurice mm. is in them as an extra. So we get the joke there. We're like, ha ha ha. He's in it, but he didn't get to fuck anyone. Um, then <laughs> my favorite line in any of the pornos in the movie, uh, when in reference to disco, Chest Brockley or whatever Chest Brockwell says, "All right, now let's go get some Saturday Night Beaver." And they high five, and you cut to uh-huh. the you cut to the editing room with Jack standing over Kurt editing, and Jack says, "This is the best work we've ever done." 
Yeah, they're genuine about it. It's it. No, it's so infectious. It's actually yeah, it's believably like, fun for everybody. It totally reminds me of you and me looking at our early sketches and being like, like "Dude, we did it! It's so funny! Oh it's my god! So funny. Yeah, they're like loving yeah. their own shit." And it's so cliche on the surface because it's just all all of the stuff that you're saying, but it is so genuine that it actually, it just really shows what these actors are capable of because they right. they make it endearing. You would take a character that's doing these uh, like actions and if they weren't the way that these that that were being presented with this information, we would think that they're arrogant, uh egotistical, useless people. But mm. instead we look at them and we're like I kind of want what they have. Yeah. Uh there's um, something beautiful about their Family, I guess. So then we're out of the montage finally. Or I guess the last thing is he also sweeps the fourth annual adult film yeah. awards. And this time he just says, thank you. So you mm-hmm. already see where this is headed, right? It's the classic. Right. That's why I mentioned pop star. It's, All he's going to do is get full of himself and fall because <laughs> well, of his hubris, right? Here's That's- the thing is I want to <laughs> reference an even like an even better duo with like a dual feature for this is. um. So you have a double feature with. Uh, Boogie Nights, and then do the other one be Rockstar? Do you remember Rockstar? I think it's no. like 2002. It's Marky Mark as well as a rock star in a oh, nor- yeah. like, normal milk toast, exactly normal what you think it is. Normal movie where he like gets the same too big movie for his britches. This yeah. is, yeah, it's rags to riches. Yeah, it's just hilarious to see them both uh, next you, to each other. You just made me realize that there's a great name for that genre, Rags to riches, too big for your britches. That is those stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, there you go. It's, it's ni- 1980. Ni- it's 1979. It's New Year's Eve. And right. we meet, all right, fuck you. We meet um, <laughs> Tom Jane named Todd Parker, not Todd Packer, mm-hmm. Todd Parker. Amber pulls Dirk away for a surprise. And uh, uh, we pass by Buck, who has a new look. Which is mm-hmm. this like weird like future <laughs> African thing, like very bizarre. Uh mm-hmm. and he talks about how he wants to open his own stereo store. Mm-hmm. And uh that will lead to stuff later. See, this is a uh, weird example of like that scene doesn't really go anywhere. It's just setting up stuff for later. Well, they're gonna get married later, but like yeah, they, they once again the dumminess comes in though, because before they're talking Buck uh, is dumb too, yeah. Because they talk about like the connection that they have is that they're like, oh, some uh, I have always thought I was looking at a sunset, but I always thought that like the sunrises are better. And they like finish each other's. I thought no one else thought that. You guys. Oh, you guys. (laughs) But I'm glad that you're having fun. Yeah. Uh, At that same party, uh, Floyd Gondoli, played by Bookman from Seinfeld, who Abe always remembers the name of, Philip Baker Hall. Fucking perfect. Comes in with a crop of new, hung, young, and hungry for cum porn stars to pitch to the Colonel and Jack. And we get the idea that his overall pitch is, I want to switch to video. I want to be more amateur, Mm -hmm. be less highfalutin and pretentious. Can't and everything's on video now. Like it's the way the industry is going. And mm. if you're familiar with porn at all, you know that he's right, right? Or <laughs> like porn is yeah. now Pornhub or whatever. It's it's more we've 
I mean, there is still professional porn, but there's way Film's more. Film's too expensive. Video's coming. And now there's Jack phones. Can... We just film ourselves having sex with each other. Right. We show each other. And Jack, Jack will never shoot video. Because he, he cares about film. the art part. Right. But then in, I think, probably my favorite shot of anything that Paul Thomas Anderson's done ever. I think wow. this is my favorite thing. Floyd is just a simple man. I assume you wrote it down. Oh, well, before that, yeah, at the, I guess intercut. Amber's surprise for Dirk okay. turns out to be giving him coke for the first time, which I only bring up because later he's going to get hooked on crystal meth. Um, and I like his line. He goes, do I look cool when I do it? <laughs> and then they bow. Right. But um, I assume the part you're talking about is Floyd's weird, slight Southern accent. Which is only there for this line, it seems. And when no, he goes it's there. like, okay, he goes you- like, I'm a simple man. I like butter in my ass and lollipops in my mouth. That's just something I enjoy. Call me crazy, call me a pervert, but there's one thing that I want to do in this life and is make a dollar and a cent in this business. I'm not here to hurt you, Jack. I'm here to help you stay one step ahead in the game. It's just. I'm not a complicated. I also love. Come on, Jack. I'm not a complicated man. I like cinema in particular. I like to see people fucking on film, but I don't want to win an Oscar, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Like he's yeah. just—he is a Simpsons character. You're holding uh, on too tight. Theaters are already converting. So good. Yeah. Uh, and then Jack says, "No, fuck you." There's only ten minutes left in the new year. I'd like to spend it with my friends. We will or will not continue this conversation. Meanwhile, same party. Scotty drags Dirk outside under the guise of seeing his new car, but then tries to kiss him. Well, does kiss him a bit and apologizes. Mm-hmm. And in an interesting, I guess, anti-drama, or I just thought it was interesting how the choice is that for the time, especially. Dirk's like, oh, what the fuck? Oh, but that's okay. No big deal, man. But don't do that. I'm not gay, but mm. it's okay. And like, I thought they, they did a good they brush job. it off like, pretty nicely. I think Paul Thomas Anderson does, like, he wanted to not have to present that, you know. Right. Like the ugliness, because he knew that he was going to show some of the ugliness later. a little later. Right. Um, I think that that direction that he went in is really smart for story reasons, but also just like. I agree. Like, but presentation I guess what I'm saying is, like you but, said, it is meandery. It's not tight in the sense that you're like, why did the film concern itself with, well, there's also this guy on the side and he's gay yeah. and he tries to kiss him and then nothing comes of that. And it's like, no reason, because it's interesting human observation. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I did notice, though, that um, like there's an ex- there's expressions on Marky Mark's face that he's making during the whole time. Mm hmm. That are a little bit like I feel like he's uh, like uncomfortable. Oh, he's scene. steeped I don't know. in the he time. Really, he's anti-gay. He, really... he is homophobic, but I guess I'm saying it could have been much worse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it could have been much worse. And, uh, and I, in the... fact, I I just wanted to point out that I think that the scene work and the intention of the scene, or what it seemed like the scene was leading to, are kind of disassociated. I think Paul Thomas Anderson couldn't reel Marky Mark in. Uh, but that's just my tease. Like, that's just what I think. I, I feel I like it's interesting. Well, we're, it doesn't really go anywhere that then Philip Seymour Hoffman sits in his car and goes, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot and cries. Right. You would think that in a normally structured film, that would lead to Philip Seymour Hoffman later doing something. You know right. what I mean? Or that would have been a turning yeah, point yeah. for him. But it's just textural in this. It's just a thing that happened mm-hmm. one night. Um, yep. And it's just supposed to point out to you 
Yeah, you're just getting to know the various types of people in the porn business. This is one type. A guy who mm-hmm. gets off on the idea of seeing all these hung dudes and is gay and likes to hang around with all the hung dudes. You know, that's a type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just like seeing types of guys. Um, let's see. Little Bill the finds- The most effective one in the film, I would say, just because yeah. something actually happens. The dra- the, which is the, the killing. The dread is very palpable. Yeah, Little Bill's wife is literally can't stop fucking, although we don't see her this time because she's hidden behind it, Because it's the third doorway. beat, you assume. You go, oh, or, it's his wife right, fucking someone. Yeah. During the more or less the countdown of the new year, he goes back to his car, grabs a revolver, shoots all three of them, a reveal by gunshot that it was a threesome, I noticed. Then he shoots himself. Um, very well shot, very f- fucking tragic. He shoots himself at the it. stroke of midnight and fun fact, sad fact, this was based on a real porn producer whose porn star wife fucked around on him and he ended up shooting himself in the head on her front lawn. Mm-hmm. So as you, as I found out doing the research for this, uh, a bunch of it is amalgamated from either John Holmes' life, the real porn star, mm-hmm. and That's or yeah. uh, P.T. Anderson took. Basically, it's a doctoral thesis. <laughs> like, he researched porn they, during this period and found a bunch of interesting people and wove them together into a movie. So this guy, so Little Bill is loosely based on a real dude, and that is sad. And that's what happened to Little Bill. And then it smash cuts to a title card that just says 80s. <laughs> yeah. So and the they made now. a, and the way we're introduced to this is that they've made a behind the scenes documentary about wiping out violence from movies because they have a violent Brock. The Brock films are violent and sex driven, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're in this weird world where they, we have, they've some element of success. They believe that they are influencers uh, to some extent. So they're making a documentary and it's being directed by uh, Julianne Moore. Um, Dirk has says that he's saved lives. You know, Uh, he's a pompous ass now because he's wearing the exact same glasses I wore in agents of cracked. So he's way off the deep end at this point. He mentions it like as a part of the process of filming, he blocks his own movement. Of course, Jack's standing right there. doesn't allow. He's like, no, I don't allow him to block his own scenes. Uh, So it's just like one of just I don't know. It's just one of those things where he's Dirk is so, so much wants to be big. And yeah, this in this world, he is to some extent, but he'll never be like the king. It's also clear that PT thinks thinks karate is inherently funny. Uh-huh. Um, between I, this I, and Heart Eight, they have the line: "He is a man of many interests: film, poetry, karate, music, and dance." <laughs> like, karate. Yeah. yeah, I like. There's a great touch with one of the 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 sequence that's shot on like the 16 millimeter reel that we see of him talking to Jack about blocking his scenes. I love. I actually really thought that uh, Wahlberg was pretty good at showing that he's clearly on cocaine just yeah. that time. Yeah, like. He he's doing little like micro cocaineisms, yeah, but not overdoing them. It's kind of nice. I I don't know. <laughs> like you really get the sense he just did lines right before the shot. <laughs> uh, but ba- back to diegesis, uh, meaning literally, we cut out of this world of the self documentary, and it's Maggie says like it's my love poem to you, Eddie. The colonel phones in and he's in jail, uh, and Jack goes over there and finds out that. Uh, a minor OD'd at his place, but the cops also found a stash of child pornography. 
uh, before the cu- phone cuts off because time is up. I'm a pedophile, yeah. and I, yeah, I so, like the line, uh, now you think I'm an asshole. Just tell me you're my friend, right. Jack. Tell me one thing. Am I your right. friend? You're my friend. Jack hangs up on him. <laughs> and so now Jack has to realize that he now doesn't have money and that the person that he's considered a friend uh, is a child pornographer, uh, even though he promises he never touches them, et cetera, et cetera, all those things. Um we cut to a wedding for we haven't really talked a lot about Becky Barnett and They're just Jerome. random other people, but they get They're married. random other people, but it's not, it's good to know that just, these are the kinds of things that Paul Thomas Anderson likes to do. Yeah. There's been a through line in every party where we check in with Becky and Becky is this woman who's looking for a man and none of the men are good enough and then randomly finds Jerome one of the parties. If this were a sitcom, it, it would out. be the runner. Yeah. Yeah. It um, worked out. They are having a wedding. They're, get, yeah. they and get they're getting out of the life too. They're moving to like Las Vegas. I moving guess. to uh, uh, Bakersfield, I think, where Tom. Yeah. Or, there's something like they're like, yeah, and we'll, yeah. you know, just go to Vegas every now and um, then. But they're like, but yeah, the big thing like at the part thing. at the wedding is that Dirk yes. gets pissy because it becomes apparent that Jack is already grooming another guy, which yeah, what did Johnny. you expect? That is the nature of the business. But That's of course he was too dumb to, as his mom said, he walked, mm. he is stupid. He was too dumb to really foresee that. He thought he'd always right. be famous and you know, um, and we cut to 1983 is the next thing. Yep. I'm and cutting uh, you off, but Tom Jane has gotten Dirk hooked on crystal meth and he's doing crystal meth at a disturbingly high rate of speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also makes him a prick. And we see that because he's mean to roller girl and he's casually mm-hmm. mean to people when he was never like that before. He was very Ted Lassoy, like always positive, always positive. And now he's yeah. kind of a prick. Um, he gets mad that Julianne Moore is talking to the new porn boy instead of him. He goes into the bathroom and looks in the mirror and calls himself a star over and over and then goes outside. And even though he's high on crystal meth, tells Jack, I've got to fuck now. Let's fu- I want to fuck something. Shoot the shoot the scene where I'm ready to fuck. And just basically has this onset equivalent of an onset meltdown uh, with some good lines. I'm sure you have some lines marked down. The ones I marked down where you think you're the king. You're not the king. And then Jack says, yes, I am. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. I also want, uh, of course, the standout line at the end. When you know he's gone too far as he goes, I want to fuck. It's my big dick. So everybody get ready fucking now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He ends up storming off going, I don't need anybody. I'm the fucking star. I don't need this shit. And Reed apologizes to Jack and runs off to try and cool him down. Did you have anything more about that scene? I mean, it's like a, it's a Christian Bale meltdown, whatever. It's a big scene in terms of like, you feel like it's like where the fisher, it's like the all's lost point or something or like what leads to that. Uh, But it really is just, I mean, it does do that as a placeholder, but it it doesn't, as we learn later, like they're going to be fine. What's interesting about this story, I think, is how far PTA milks it after this point. Because at this point, if this were pop star or whatever, rock star. The way it would wrap up is pretty standard. From this point forward, this movie goes places you don't expect. This is the point where it actually starts to get the most interesting to me. Right. So um, he tries to go make it on his own, right? So we see him taping a shitty demo of "You've Got You've Got the Touch." Yeah, (laughs) they're amazing. Yeah, Uh, John C. Riley's amazing. They They rehearse an original song. It sucks even harder. Um, the producer in the booth obviously knows it sucks. 
Uh, they're just bad. They're dumb and they're going to fail. It's and this is like, like a, a comedy. It's that light montage that Paul Thomas Anderson does where it's like scenes, but within a montage. Yeah. Because we see sequences where Jack Jack is continuing shooting with Johnny, the new kid. Julianne Moore and Heather Graham are doing cocaine. Well, importantly, literally sorry, can do but anything. Jack is shooting on videotape now and his now heart shooting is not video, in it. Yeah. He's like blasé now. Uh, Don Cheadle applies for a loan. Uh, Tom Jane... John C. Riley, uh, Wahlberg are doing more and more cocaine. Everyone just is doing more cocaine. Roll, specifically, Roll, Roller Girl and Amber do meth all day and talk mm-hmm. about all the great shit they're going to do in the future. Yeah, and it, like asks Maggie to be her mom. Maggie accepts, uh, you know, like everyone's being very high. Of course, the record contract doesn't look like it's going to work out. So he there's kind of like a little uh, kerfuffle that occurs with... Uh, with Dirk and the all record. throughout amazing match cuts. PTA mm. really reminds you of the montage of Magnolia with the game show. Like PTA loves whipping right. to shit and whipping and pushing in and it match speeds as you push in again mm. and it works. It's great. Great. I mean, you and can't bit, top the movement, the feeling of movement. And to kind of finish the sequence, we have Don Cheadle's character again, where Buck's bank loan won't work out because the bank knows he's a porn actor. Yeah. Uh, once again, showing kind of like this sleepy stigma that infects all their lives that they have to avoid like normal lives because they're thought of as lesser than people. Um, Dirk and Reed can't get their demo tapes to the record company because they can't afford the cost of buying the tapes from the place where they recorded. Yeah, that's a uh, scene. And I like the I like John C. Riley going, we look like assholes, man. And the guy just slowly nods. Yes, like, you do yeah. look like assholes. Yeah, a bunch of and assholes. Uh, then I like Amber's uh this just resonated with me a lot in a sad way. Ram Amber says, Let's have fun now. Let's just go and go because there's too many things. That is how life feels a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to boil it As you it mentioned, down. Jack moves on to video and we see his like established like Colonel Free. He has a huge warehouse it, of porno tapes yeah, that are shipped pretty all over the world Packaging, now. Yeah. a place of business. And he walks in and they, to check on the new cut of the new whatever they're working on. And Billy Jay's there editing as well. And he says of their new film, it is what it is. And tape so is cheap. Get, Who cares? Just shoot yeah, a lot. It seems yeah. like they're unsatisfied perf- like uh, in terms of their like. It's not art you know, anymore, career but it's what they do for a living. Yeah. Ambitions. But, it, you know, they're making more money. So they adapted and they're going to succeed. Julianne Moore. Uh, we have a little um, digression where we go back to the Julianne Moore and child stuff where she's there to try to attempt to win an appeal to her custody battle. But the second that she's kind of, she pleads her case that all the drugs and all that stuff is not going to get exposed, be exposed to the child. And she just wants custody. Um, and she's like turned a, over and, you know, new leaf, uh, a new leaf. So, but then the question uh, comes up of what were you de- what were you oh, the arrested judge says, for? Well, when was the last time you were arrested, and what was the and we charge? don't get the answer to that question. We just jump cut, which is very effective. You just jump cut crying. to Julianne Moore sobbing outside the yeah. court. 
with so her basically head and you get the sense that she doesn't get custody again and yeah. fails at the appeal because everyone knows drugs and pornography is still in her life. And that's what the we're, husband is saying. It's basically orchestrated such that now we're doing the scrubs thing where we check in on everything, everyone and everyone at the same time is doing their all is lost moment. So right. Jack's all is lost moment is that he hosts a bang bus type thing in his limo with Roller Which Girl. I don't know why he th- would think this is a little unbelievable. Why would why he would do think it? This is a good idea. Yeah. Well, Bang Bus is real. I think that's what they're. But I mean, Bang it's, Bus is not real. That's the thing. It's not real. The guys in Bang Bus are porn actors pretending yes, to get picked up on the street. Pretending to be these things. Right. But the but idea you get the is sense he that really early does video, it. They did that kind of stuff. You know, you yeah. do get the. I think that. Is, that's what he's playing. Well, I think to. he's also trying to do a thing like the not this came first, but you know what I mean? Like the wrestler, like how the wrestler showed how mm. the industry evolved into a more you got to be more extreme and more gonzo now to even get attention. Right. Yeah. I think that's what and he's that trying to means say that you got to pick up men on the street to have sex with roller girl. Um, yeah. So they pick and- up a random guy to fuck roller girl and she's triggered because he's like, you went to high school with me. And knows her and Mm -hmm. that's triggered, you know, that brings up feelings of shame for her. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of sex, oh, and at the same time, Jack can't let go of the idea that he's a real director. So he's telling the kid like, make it sexy. sexy. And the kid's like, leave me the fuck alone, man. I'm just a hog humping a hole. You know what I mean? Like, this is a filthy, dirty thing. I'm a non-actor. And, uh, and eventually... Roller girls like stop, stop the scene and they kick Mm -hmm. him out of the limo and the guy goes, your films fucking suck anyway, which causes Burt Reynolds to tackle him and beat the shit out of him. Then Roller Girl taking advantage of the fact that he's on the ground motionless and paying off the fact that she's skated for two hours. Like, I love that this is the payoff for the skates themselves. Mm -hmm. Right kicks the guy in the head a bunch of times with her skates on. Like, I can't yeah, so imagine. He's really fucked. He's going to be different after this. Like, this is brain all damage of this, shit. Yeah. All of this is intercut yes. uh, to build up tension, though Michael is, you know, keeping it just for clarity. Cohesive. On the other side, we see that Dirk has hit his lowest point, and he's selling himself off as he did when he was 17, jerking off for dudes. Interesting let, point. Let dudes to when watch. he was 17, it didn't bother him in the slightest, and now it's right. deeply humiliating. Now it's Interesting point about point of view, right? Right. Yeah. If you're quote unquote hungry. It's all relative. It's like, I remember all the things that I do for the film industry when I was young, you know? Oh yeah. I'll carry everything. Yeah. I'll do all that stuff, you know? And then, uh, and in this case, the guy's paying him to jerk off and he goes, do you know who I am? My name's Dirk Diggler. And he goes, no, I don't care. And that, (laughs) I also love that. He used to let guys watch him jerk off for $10. In this scene, he asks for 20 and the guy says, I only he have 10, 10 and he goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's so in both cases, he gets $10. Like he can't move <clears throat> That's the needle. something as we talked about with the Heart 8 podcast that there's almost always an intentional like cadence to the money involved yes. in all these kind of dysfunction stories. It's only to make it like, oh, it'd be perfect if it was that mm-hmm. perfect amount of money. Um it's more of that kind of stuff, but twist. He's not just a dude watching a dude jerk off. He's actually a secret bigot. Uh, and he got a bunch of his friends to ride up in the truck and they're doing a, uh, let's all beat up this gay guy, which is crazy because Dirk obviously 
just wants drug money. It's not even clear that he's gay. You know what I mean? Like he's, he can't get hard. He can't even like, and the guys for these dudes, it's enough. I mean, but you know, the guy's looking for an excuse to beat someone up. So he found one. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're just out beating the shit out of people and they beat the shit out of him. And so he gets his ass beat by, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. by all that, it's pretty dark. Uh, And to cap off this intense montage, what I love is that. Holy shit. That should be the thing that you would end with end because on. that's good, like dichotomy, your main characters. No, but we have so many then characters some... that other people could have their like This crazy really feels like pulp nuance. fiction. This and shit. the John Bryan score kind of keeps the music going. And yeah. You're like, why is the music still going on? Because it's just Buck and his newlywed pregnant wife. Uh, but you know something bad is going to happen. And you know something bad is going to happen. So he goes into the donut store. Don Cheadle uh, finds that, as circumstance has it, a man robs the donut place. A nearby seated patron who looks like he carries in a fucking red hat, dude. Yeah, exactly, red hat. Pulls out a gun and he kills the assailant. Gets shot himself and then fires wildly, killing the store employee. Uh, So Buck is basically left with three dead bodies, blood on his face, and a bag. I guess it's Reservoir Dogs. It's Mr. Pink. Yeah, yeah. And so he takes it and runs. and then we and get our last title card, which mm-hmm. is says long way down one last thing. And I think that's very interesting that it's called one last thing only because right. if this movie were more traditional, first of all, you wouldn't have had the Buck Swope scene would have just ended with. And that's what you get for be starring in porn. You end up yeah. s- sucking right. dick and getting your, the shit kicked out of yeah, you. Yeah. Right. It's a tragedy. But uh, at, interesting point about PTA is He's just fascinated by these worlds and he really seems to put films together by just researching the worlds and putting everything that interests him in it. Case in point, the script for this movie was originally 300 pages (laughs) and it got cut down to 180, which means he just wrote scenes and scenes of all kinds of stuff that's interesting that could happen and they whittled it down into a package. So I just love that you get this meandery like, He's like, no, no, no. I found uh, there's other short stories I want to tell. It's almost like a collection of short stories set in a universe. And here's some more. So (laughs) Dirk, Reed, and Todd all decide to defraud Alfred Molina for $5,000 using fake cocaine. And dude, if this was just a short, and I haven't seen- This is fucking great. Just this Alfred Molina odyssey is such a fucking good- He's a revelation. It's, the he's sound a revelation. design in the this sound scene. design with the firecrackers and the music, the yeah. mixtape. So oh my god! The firecrackers are just being fired off randomly just throughout the scene because he has like a firework. I boy. will never listen to Jesse's girl the same way ever. Yeah, and he's uh, Alfred Molina is wearing a robe and briefs. Uh, he's just chewing up the scenery. Amazing slow shot uh, of the security gate closing. Everything and you go, Here is we cocaine go. <laughs> fueled anxiety. There's yeah. loud music. Todd is losing it. We get close up shots of people who are like losing it. And so there's this, just the sense all the time that oh, like oh, things fuck. are just going to pop off. It's like uncut gems at any time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Todd has brought a gun. Uh, they deal do the deal for the 5K and everything's going well, but they notice that his like right-hand man has a gun on him and he's testing the baking soda. So now we have a ticking clock for them. Uh, and Todd that, of starts course, makes, giggling uncontrollably like in yeah. the jinx. Well, Alfred Molina is <laughs> dealing crack casually yeah. and he shows them his revolver that he has, which is kind of like out yeah. of nowhere, but it does up the, se- the stakes of the scene. Uh, and it is kind of revealed that it, all, wow, beautifully done. But Todd has decided that he's not leaving. He's going to get a bigger score. He wants to rob the drug dealer. And can I just now. say right before that, there yeah. is a long ass shot. It is my favorite shot in the whole movie. It's very effective. Of Dirk, acting. Dirk's yeah. face. And he's good, right? They shoot it directly on, by which I mean the nose is a circle, if you know. People look weird when they're direct. If you point the camera directly down the barrel at someone, down people barrel, kind yeah. of look weird. Uh, and depending on the angle, like yeah, they find this perfect angle that is not that symmetrical and not that photogenic where Mark Wahlberg looks crazy in a way He's that very, I would yeah. put up there with the shot of Nicholson and the shining going crazy. Like mm-hmm. that shot of Wahlberg is better than Wahlberg is as an actor. <laughs> it's like, there's something well, magical think, well, about yeah, that shot. Wahlberg, something it's, it's Ellswit, the DP it's yeah. PT Anderson for thinking that it up. And it's shot. Wahlberg for catching on. Like I need to be a, like a demon. Yeah. Um, looks like a and demon really and then is, shit goes down. And then he, then he, they step up. Well, actually he gets the best of him. He, he realized that he, what he's thinking about is that he's out of water. Like he's, he's a fish out of water here. Is he goes, we should this go. This is not going to yeah. go well. He gets up and his resolve is turned into. We got to go, man. We yeah. got to go. Uh, which is different than what you would assume because he's looking like a demon and he's like, yeah, let's, let's fucking go or something. No, it's uh Todd. It's uh Tom Jane. Who's uh, the one who's doing that. Uh, so he pulls out the gun, a gunfight ensues. Uh, Melina has kind of like run into his bedroom when it started, but he reenters with a pop pump action shotgun and just pulverizes the chest of Tom Jane, who's in a stupid way, just opens the door expecting right. no retaliation. Uh, of course, the John C. Riley and uh, Reed Mark runs Wahlberg. off. Dirk drives yep. off. Rahab yep. chases them, but doesn't catch them. The bodyguard gets course, killed and Tom Jane gets killed. And of course, Dirk uh, looks down and sees that he's running out of fuel. Uh, we kind of transition to the daytime for the next sequence. He um, pushes his car to Jack's house. Yeah. And then he realizes that, he, yeah, I uh, he's gone down a dark path. Jack accepts him. And they're back to the strange mother, father, son, him. fuck yeah. triangle. Yeah. Amber says we all need to start again. That's what we need to start fresh. Yeah. Uh, man, it reminds me of uh, adaptation. I just want to be a baby. I want to be new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Buck. Then we cut to a lot of a lot of film in within film in this. We cut to a commercial for Buck's new stereo store, and you got to imagine he used the money from the donut shop robbery to to buy found the business it. and um, make yeah. an ad. Yeah. And they wouldn't. I don't. We said he didn't get the bank loan, but we didn't mention that it's because he's a pornographer. So I think that's. That was the point of that arc, right? Um, So now he does have a serious store. Happy ending for him. Um, Maybe the worst written line in the movie from PTA's vantage is, 
their tagline, which is all you need to do is walk over, get down and come inside us. I just don't think that Buck is dumb enough to not notice how that sounds. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they play it uh, like he doesn't notice how it sounds. That's a weak joke. But anyway. Sometimes you get that. You, yeah. Sometimes you get that. He's not a comedian. PTA is not a true comedian, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. yeah, I guess there's just a little bit more of a discerning. I don't know. I'm not going to act like I know comedy better than P.T. You know, Anderson. he sure. does. But like. I would say that having work in comedy, it's one of those lines that feels like it's evergreen for being funny, but is not in place perfectly. And like, it's you're you're perfectly right. Like if you put it in a Buck Simpsons episode, it would that. be a weak joke. In a uh, but I think the allure of it's a funny line that's on the nose. And he thought that it was funny. That's why he included it. Probably. Well, we bag on Anderson, so or Wes, yeah, so yeah. I'm bagging on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, absolutely. We reveal that Kurt is shooting the commercial and Amber's directing it. Right, so the gang's back together, it's, and they're and all together. It's like bad stuff happens to us, and then we learn, and then we have a more humble life. The music but we're kicks happier. in. Everyone's having a good time. It's super positive. Oh, except girls for the back Colonel, in school, who gets brutally oh, yeah. raped in jail every day. <laughs> but he, he's he's a piece of shit, right? So uh, we're happy. It's still a happy Marie, ending. Yeah. Roller girls back in school. Maurice has a new nightclub. Uh, um, Randy does saucy magic shows at the nightclub yeah, yeah, in <laughs> Vegas, I assume. It's adult themed, of course. Buck has a child. Buck's baby Hoffman boy is born. Hoffman films the birth, real cinema verte. He's really getting up in there. Uh, at Jack's place, it's another more more scenes of extended family. All There's chilling. child I, rearing, I think installing very sound systems. It's a more adult, mature party. It's not a crazy party. It's everyone yes. hanging out together, you know? Did you doing, know that yeah. organ music was played? Like, over like the transition of the music, it turned into organ music that mm-hmm. leads us right up into where Jack professes his love to Maggie. Uh, and he calls her, like, a badass bitch. Um, and, like, there's some real love there. I think the organ music is, like, kind of a tilt. I know this is yeah. we're getting close to the other uh the other pedagogy but um it's like it seems like they're doing a church he's doing a church thing like this is their church this is their place yeah. and there's a painting yeah. of little bill so it's like mm-hmm. the gang's all here uh, and then we end yeah. with we're in the dressing room Dirk is back to shooting porno he uh stands up takes his dick out we see it for the first time in the film we actually see it yeah, yeah, it's a big dick. I don't know. It's, it's just a, big, a dick. It's a, he yeah. he talks to it and says, I'm a, star, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a big, bright, shining star. Does some Does karate, some karate moves, puts his dick that's away. Right. He says, says, that's right. That's right. And the movie ends. <laughs> Cuts to black, Q-E-L-O. <laughs> um, yeah, and I know, well, we'll save it for how do you do that. So let's just jump right in. That brings to us to pedagogy. Next. Well, we don't have, yeah. yeah, this whole thing is strung together. We don't do sound cues for this podcast for some reason. No. So now we're going to kind of talk about what Oof. we got from the movie. That is a lot of movie. This is a long episode. Cause I also want to talk about some things. I'll try not to make it too long, but I feel like we're now here. I got this most of my pedagogy dense. in. I noticed you doing that. Yeah. I tried <laughs> Sorry. to keep up. Um, it's like if blow was much, much better was the other thing I want to say in pedagogy. <laughs> That's that just interesting overall because yeah. pedagogy I think of is also where, cause we've been so termitic. It's where we take the mm-hmm. overview and be like, so what mm-hmm. did we learn today? Or what did you think this movie was about? And, uh, I do think it was PT Anderson's attempt to do a biopic, but he didn't want to, he thought he could do have more fun 
doing an analog of John Holmes than literally doing a documentary about John Holmes. And he's right. This is more fun. That's always right. (laughs) Uh, Making an analog is always better Um, for so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Obviously, that is like kind of how he got into the world. Did a lot of research, shot a short uh, based kind of around it. Once again, with John C. Riley involved, because we're going to see that 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 it's like they hang out and shoot little shorts and then they turn into movies or something. Yeah. Hard eight it, was the same deal. It yeah. happened with hard eight. It happens with Magnolia too. Um, that we'll learn this movie. I want to mention something because it, it deals with both the Andersons, both mm-hmm. uh, PTA and you know, uh, the other guy, Wes Anderson, uh, that we talk about in this podcast. I want to mention the idea of the incompatibility of people and ultimately like what leads to dysfunction, because this is something that Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson, all of their movies are actually like are about when you think about it. Each film obviously has a bunch of other things it wants to talk about. And there's, you know, different contexts. But it's one of the reasons that I think in this podcast, we paired these two for this podcast. Um, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson shows a real true, like tragedy in what I would call this incompatibility and like how life kind of grinds up people that overreach or how it causes them to become melancholy. Um, it's something that I think if you think of any movie that he's done, that is true of, and it kind of is true of both, uh, both Andersons and they both like to do stories about characters that reach for greatness, uh, are deeply discouraged when they discover that it didn't come in the form that they expected, Mm -hmm. then make peace with and become grateful for what they did, what they do get out of life. And this is, I mean, gosh, isn't that one of the core experiences of life period? That everyone contend, that most people contend with, other than whoever, like right, whoever's obviously, life goes exactly as they expect, which is rare. Obviously, there's, I would say this is kind of uh, unique. This and Punch Drunk Love are ones where they don't end in quite tragedies. Like these, mm. in a way, these are these are his comedies. I would not Paul call Thomas Magnolia Anderson. a tragedy. I wouldn't call it a tragedy. I would call but Magnolia a thesis. <laughs> I don't even like Magnolia is its own thing. Like, yeah. uh, like it's, I don't want to even mention it okay. right now. Uh, but, but like, like, if you were doing the Shakespeare, these are the dramas. I just want to these compare are the dramas, the, these are the comedies. The nature of Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Anderson, yeah. Paul on, Thomas Anderson sometimes does comedies. He has comedy moments in all of his, you know, s- stories, mm-hmm. but Wes Anderson is typically having like a success uh, at the end. You know, it ends with a uh, a wedding instead of a funeral. Um, I'm that's the simplistic, you know, division of comedy and tragedy, but it's also something that and something that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't necessarily stick to either. Like he's not going to always be tragic, and that's like the point of it. Because Paul Thomas Anderson films don't seem to have a point in that it's a clear indicative thesis of like causality you do this you get that you know something like that that's Mm -hmm. a um there's kind of an is ought kind of fallacy or principle like that is permeate like permeates all types of movies paul thomas anderson doesn't want to do that he doesn't want to say that 
this is why these things happen to these people. He just say they did, um, which yeah. is and every know, once in a while, some hicks down. in a pickup truck roll into town and beat the shit right. out of you. That's actually in multiple P.T. Anderson movies too. Right? Yeah. Um, this is also a movie about the attainment of power, obviously, and the loss of it, and it kind of the unraveling that happens that reveals your insecurities mm-hmm. and causes like your lack of happiness. Every character you can kind of feel that. Otherwise, we you wouldn't their have had the mother and fathers. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't care what Dirk Diggler's past was, right? We know he has that deep right. insecurity, and we live with that the whole film. That's so, part of the point, right? That's what kind of the film is occupied with. It's um. They're usually driving toward what they think will make them happy. And when it's empty, as you said, and not quite to their narrative, they kind of despair. Uh, But they find their way back home in this movie by finding kind of some elevated love version of like family. Like they it is a community then they all do genuinely love each other. They may be misguided in some things like drugs. Um, Or Amber never gets a relationship with her son ever. But she has family and friends of another sort. That's the Mm -hmm. best she gets. It's that's the best she gets. It's realistic. I know it is what it is. It's like, you know, Uh (laughs) I don't know what to say Uh beyond that. Yeah. Uh, You you noticed um, the pedigree shots like. I like the everyone getting home. We're also there's this there's a cut where he's like we're thinking about his dick. Like oh yeah, now we're thinking about early on we're thinking about Dirk Diggler's dick, and then the jump cut into the next scene is sausage in the pan the next morning, mm-hmm. and it's just like little cadence cuts and pedigree shots like that. Uh, that is definitely a thing a trope not not only of many filmmakers but definitely of paul thomas anderson one of the things that paul thomas anderson does a lot that we haven't mentioned on top of all the other trips that michael mainly mentioned during diegesis is that he loves to play especially in this movie scenes on one actor's face usually it's an over the shoulder kind of medium to medium wide shot where you see like you know like uh they're sitting and you see all the way down to their knees or something like that. It's a fairly wider shot. Uh, and then you'll have a whole scene, like a minute to two minute long where you like, usually you'd cut around and see what the other person is like reacting to. Cause it's usually a bigger moment on those moments in this screenplay where it's like something big is happening or something. Someone is confessing someone. Paul Thomas Anderson likes to just keep it on one actor's face and not cut. Um, and I think that that's one of the, like, it's one of his hallmarks. Similar to Heart Eight when you don't know what happened in the hotel room. You don't know that there's a bloody mm-hmm. body out of frame. You just know that you're looking at Philip Baker Hall going, oh, fuck, what the fuck happened? Oh, how did mm-hmm. this happen? And you're like, what's he looking at? What's he looking at? Yeah, he loves that. Yeah, he loves that. Um I wanted to talk a little bit about the casting of Wahlberg and like the bad mm-hmm. acting because we kind of uh, bookiered like the uh, kind of um, moment between him and his mother where mm-hmm. it was like I mentioned it was bad acting, but I think it's intentional. I think we see this a lot with Paul Thomas Anderson. Like you think of um, at, uh What's his fucking name? Adam Sandler uh, with Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think of it with Mark Wahlberg in this. You know, Coen Brothers, we've talked about them a lot. They did it, in my opinion, with Bunny Lebowski for The Big Lebowski. Right. Sometimes the best actual casting 
is not necessarily the most talented person for the job. I don't mean this to be mean to like Mark Wahlberg, but oh, like he's the, not. You can say mean but stuff this about is, him. <laughs> in my opinion, the best actual casting of Wahlberg in any movie he's ever done. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. He's and at the time he's basically a porn actor in terms of his talent. Uh, in acting like he's he's a little better than that obviously we pointed out moments that he actually brought it uh, I think he's absolutely capable but it's times like this where there's like the meteor scenes like the scenes where they are supposed to be melodramatic like a mother throwing out her son mm -hmm. that they are so seeped in tropes that that's sometimes the crutch that a lot of actors will use to be like, I got to play it big. And I know what the scene is kind of, I'm familiar with these types of scenes. So I'm going to kind of play it over the top and that's going to mean bigger and better. Now, here's the thing. You got to kind of look at PT Anderson thinking about the movie, making his movie a melodrama in that same way. Cause I totally think he is. Uh, and it comes from uh, Jack Horner's I want to make something real, something, you know, dramatic. They th these porn creators in the film are making something that they think is better. And what that means to them is more true, more dramatic. And that's maybe people that are not so smart or successful, but they definitely can have sex and they're very industrious. Sometimes like quote unquote art reveals every aspect of them. Uh, and all they want is to be accepted as artists, as children's, as you know, like in the case of Julian Moore as a parent, like that's what art means to them. So mm -hmm. they go real big because that's what being dramatic means. That's why and they paint shitty paintings and tell each it's other. That's why they paint. Yeah, exactly. No, you it's, look good, dude. You look good and shit like that. It's yeah. understanding the pretense of what art is, not actually what like the drama, art, I guess, fashion, would mean. Yeah, presentation. But their own missteps in their own lives ultimately do make things really dramatic for us, the audience, once removed. It's interesting to watch because their actual flaws make it interesting still, even though there's no like narrative thrust into this type of movie. Uh, I think that there's separation... the general arc of becoming famous and then falling from glory. That's right. the basic narrative thrust. I yeah. think it's written in the DNA of the lines in this movie that we have scenes like the, the mother kicking out Dirk from the home just because it shows that these people are real people. They just are not great at acting. <laughs> you know, like that's what I think he's doing there. I don't think it's as much that Mark Wahlberg is a bad actor. Well, as much you as said, it Nina is Hartley is a real porn star. And also I think right. very interestingly and bears on this is the judge who tells Julianne Moore, you can't have custody of your child is also mm -hmm. a porn star in real life. And she is a porn star who lost custody of her children for similar reasons mm -hmm. for being involved in pornography. Right. Fascinating. Macy, John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, all three of these guys were, they're, they've done huge meaty roles. They're very good mm -hmm. actors. Um, all three of them have moments in this movie where they're like, they're supposed to be wooden. They're supposed to be like not oh, understanding things. Um, PTA, or, Magnolia, I didn't like the first time I saw it because right. I didn't understand it was intentional. Everyone is directed to act wooden from time to yeah. time in Magnolia. Like they're told to act that way and it shows. It makes mm -hmm. you feel weird. You're like, is this bad? Are these people right. acting badly? What's going on? Yeah. And I think in the movie, it's one of PTA's only, things. 
only Julianne Moore and Burt Reynolds aren't that because they those characters kind of get it. Well, and because Burt they, Reynolds didn't know what the fuck the movie was. Yeah, Bert, that's it, something we should probably well, that's talk in about. How do that? But yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of touched upon. There's just so much in this movie that. Uh, I love talking about, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I don't have any new threads if we just want to move on to how do you do that? Or if you have anything else for uh, this section. Um, uh, yeah. I don't have anything. I just wanted to let you spiel for yeah, a while, just, which you did. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about, like, I, I think the casting is intentional. Yeah. Not to say that he's it ca- clearly casting because of these little actors. casting Easter eggs and things. It's yeah. not that. It's like he's looking for people who kind of get the assignment because they kind of are the assignment. And at that, mm-hmm. in this point in his life, Marky Mark was like, he he's kind of perfect. Well, he is an it. aspiring actor who hopes to make yeah. his way in the world in real life. Yeah. At this and time obviously, in his life. Yeah. history. Has made fools of us all, but not Marky Mark. No, nope. that's for sure. Not if he'd been um, on those planes. <laughs> no. All right, let's move into how do you do that, which is uh, basically uh, a fancy name for trivia and behind the scenes information. Trivia but behind the scenes. Yeah. Let's start with the fact that Burr Reynolds. What a story! Did not like this movie. Not the only one, too. But let's start with him. Well, they wanted to bear, or you could, PTA kind of wanted to turn Burt Reynolds into another one of his cast like you know you could expect to see Burt Reynolds in future PTA movies but nope Burt Reynolds regretted making the movie uh said he didn't like the movie said please don't cast like he tried to cast him again in his next movie and he said no I just think that's funny that he didn't get it it's uh oh and the best story apparently for the first day of shooting he used an Irish accent and they had to be like don't do that (laughs) Not only on top of that, like, did he, there's a story by the first AD that he tells where uh, Burt Reynolds tried to punch him uh, later in interviews, P, him being P.T. Anderson, sorry, because um, they were like having a conversation mm-hmm. outside when they were not agreeing on set. Um, in interviews and like kind of the way that they've dealt with this post, all this stuff coming out. Is that they were just like had creative disagreements. Uh, one interview talked about a Burt Reynolds thought that P.T. Anderson was full of himself because he'd do this like elaborate one one or shot and you go, isn't this terrific? And Burt Reynolds was like, oh, yeah, who every, cares? like I, who cares? Yeah, yeah, everyone's done that kind of shit. You're not unique. And, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of looking better and better as the story goes along. Some people are saying that Burt Reynolds uh did drugs or said they he uh was doing drugs while shooting the movie um there's a lot of you know just he also he, talked down about the saying, porn community and the porn stars involved like he yeah, said in I think a at the heart, maxim interview that he researched his role by visiting porn sets and talking with porn actors and that it disgusted him which is like also, all right Burr Reynolds, that's it's harsh. like all right man he's like he ron, uh ron jeremy and who's like actually cut out of the film mm-hmm. but was like on set for several times would have people over to his house after and Burr reynolds never came uh, something about it being disgusting. Um, the, here's the thing. Oh, one, one, but ba- ba- one good thing about Reynolds too. Also the only, uh, nomination and, uh, I think he won. Yeah, he won. Only time he got the, uh, uh, golden, golden globe. globe. Yeah. 
He won for this one. He hadn't even been non nominated in his entire mm-hmm. life. And he has a quite a um, you know, quite a quite a discography going there. Uh and he sold it after. He wanted nothing to do with this movie. And I think you just mentioned something that really unlocks like he's not the only one. Mark Wahlberg, who's since become a devoted Catholic, uh, and a you know, a father. And he said in an interview that he hoped that God would forgive him for his poor career choices, mentioning Boogie Nights on the top of that list. It's the best movie you've ever made, you stupid motherfucker. But he claims he was joking. (laughs) So this all speaks to me as like, uh, you know, he got really big. So he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. I'm joking. Ah, but I, you know, I don't like that I was in that porn movie, but I don't regret it. But like, I, you know, it's, it's tough subject matter. Critics say it's Uh, good. So I embrace it, but I I don't like the dirty parts. That's what it sounds like that. Heather Graham, uh, also didn't get any, like, this is according to the IMDb, didn't get meaning, which I look back and notice this is true. Didn't get meaningful roles. Mm-hmm. For over a year after Boogie Nights, felt that the movie was um, like career suicide because she was now considered a sex symbol only. And uh, she even considered doing softcore erotic movies. Uh, but of course, in 1999, she no, started in Austin this. Powers. That's Spy Who Shagged yeah. Me. I know. It's how it's it reveals how not much well we this hate. Was. We love and hate naked. That's the naked the female form. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it really gets into this. And that's one of the I mean, that's just an American like, amazing thing, parts yeah. of this movie. Uh, she no longer answers questions related to Boogie Nights and no cast reunion, no retrospectives. Um, wow. All three of them have not worked with them against. We're I, so and, fucked up about sex, dude. It's so weird thing. to me. Well, we're just talking right around it. We're just saying the details. The reality of what's happening here is that he made a movie that made porn adult film stars and adult filmmakers as humans. Approachable and like normalized. And yeah. in 1997, the actors who were in the movie... And the audience that watched the movie, us, were not ready for it. Well, I'll say this. ELO was one of my favorite bands. I was glad that ELO was used for the uh, credits song. And there's someone who flipped, which I think (laughs) speaks to the film. Uh, Jeff Lynn originally refused to let them use an ELO song because he heard... Oh, it's about sex and violence. I don't like all these Hollywood movies that are just sex and violence. Then PTA said, will you watch the movie? And he watched the movie and he loved it so much that he said, oh, of course he used the, yeah, this is great. And yeah, I, I want to be a part of this project. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely biased. I like this film. Yeah, I think good. it's an important film. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it's important is that it casts a wide net on Humanity, which is a great thing for a movie to do, mm-hmm. to show you the human elements of anybody and everybody, uh, you know, with not really being derogatory. Um, and all these people throwing shade at this was critically well received, very well received. Definitely. Obviously, it made his career like even more than Hard Eight. That's what I mean. Uh, it's yeah. It's thought of it as a great film. It made money technically, not not really. Uh, it, it was fifteen million to make, and it made back like it made like forty or something like that, which is not a perfect one to one because a lot of money, a lot of money is not considered 
what we would call budget on like Google. And also there's a lot of people who are taking a lot of that money for sure. So the people who are like gaining the money back are not necessarily getting a lot of that money in return. Uh, that's just how movies work because it's like first money, first first money in, first money out. I don't know the specifics to those detail, but these are numbers that typically tell me wasn't really by a uh, box office success. Um, he's Paul Thomas Anderson has had a huge problem this whole time, uh, all throughout his career at this point, uh, dealing with studios, and this is not doing much for him. And on top of everything else, audiences were like willing to walk out, you know, like they, they, this is not received well by all, uh, just by, you know, a small group of people, Mm -hmm. but enough, um, enough that I would say that, uh, you know, obviously gets to continue to make films for throughout the nineties. Um, I just think it's very interesting that he had this stranglehold on films that did not do particularly well. He wasn't a good bet box office wise, but everyone agreed that what he was doing was something special. So there's always kind of angel investors for his movies. Mm-hmm. That's a unique, um, that's a unique aspect of the economics of this movie yeah. and his career. And, you know, as we're going to see in the next few films. All right. Um, that's a long enough gap of silence. That indicates that, to me that, that we're wrapping over. up. Do you think so? I think so. I think so. I think so. There's only... Oh, I do want to mention one more thing that I think is a good, uh, just Please. a s- short story. That was, uh, like, once again, Anderson trying to... Uh, showing how Anderson wanted to make a, a certain type of movie and how he wasn't necessarily ready for how it was going to be received. Uh, he saw at a particular screening, an early screening, uh, that there was a group of teens wa- watching, and uh, they started cheering when little Bill grabs grabbed his gun to go, you know, kill his mm-hmm. wife, and yeah. So Paul Thomas Anderson freaked out because um, he felt that he had screwed up the entire scene. That's not what he wanted. Right. And the key, the teens were all all about the yeah, he's gonna fucking kill his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they fell silent when. William H. Macy kills himself. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Paul Thomas Anderson is like, okay, so they got it. <laughs> you know, like, and he's yeah. like, okay, I'm, I'm happy about that. It's just like, well, that's gotta be an dumb. interesting thing. People are always going to receive any kind of, you know, scene you do that has that kind of, uh, forced introspection. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to receive it differently. And I think it's, it's very cool that like some filmmakers like Paul Thomas Anderson make those stories kind of well known because it deals with the anxiety of make it being an artist, right? You're like, oh, it's they're good. I fucked it up. I fucked it up. Okay, good. It, it, I did it. I just thought that that's a nice little. He didn't know how teens were gonna they're gonna react in that way. Whether mm-hmm. they were gonna be like, oh yeah, this is fucking getting good. This is the part I like. Um, but then they actually saw it, and I thought that's the whole point. Um. Okay, yeah, that that can be me done. This has been a long, mm-hmm. long podcast, but man, it's two hours and thirty minutes, and it's a dense film. I could talk about this for a whole bunch of time. No, you can't, cause we're done. Okay, my man. All right. Well, where can people find you online? <laughs> What's uh, <laughs> no, what are we, we doing no next plugs. time? In case people want to uh, watch ahead. Well, what we're doing next time is I isn't it um. Oh, yeah, uh, sorry. Fucking what's is it Rushmore? 
I think it's Rushmore. Rushmore is what my gut tells me, but we don't yeah. always alternate. It depends on if PT went I think next we gotta or Wes go went next. Wes Anderson, yeah, and it's got to be Rushmore is his next film as far as yeah. It's I Rushmore. thought we were it's going 98. in release order, regardless of like if if you follow me, if Wes Anderson puts out two movies in the time between a, a PTA, I would still do two Wes Andersons. Oh, okay. Well, like we're just going in, through time chronologically. That would be on, yeah, if we want to do that, uh, I'm fine with whatever. Uh, but it's still the same it's case because 1998's Rushmore is the next thing that we see. I uh, Spoiler alert, I really like Rushmore, so I'm excited. I really like Rushmore as well. And I want to address, there, there's some people have been, you people know. People are salty or like, why are you covering Wes Anderson if you don't have, like Wes Anderson? Um, listen to give us one more chance because I think the Rushmore episode will be where that will all cohese. Yeah. And it's, it's less that I'm trying, we're trying to make Wes Anderson be lesser. It's just, just trying to show the differences and how they work on us in particular. But I just wanted to say to the few, you know, commenters and if people have had this thought, I don't hate Wes Anderson. We did start in, in the first episode pretty quickly with like, oh yeah, he might not be as good as we thought, but I think it's because that I don't he think has Bottle a lot Rocket of is that good. I don't think Heart it's not Eight. That good. Heart Eight is far from it's P.T. Anderson's far from best P. Anderson's movie. best, yeah. but I still do think it's a way better so movie. So we got to cover it. Point is, I think they have a different development line. Like it's yeah. pretty clear that Boogie Nights basically solidifies it. Paul Thomas and Paul Thomas Anderson has arrived on scene fully formed, more or less. Uh, I think as we're going to learn throughout this podcast's kind of Wes Anderson shapes up over Wes time. Anderson kind of finds his way. And the thing that he finds and focuses on, I think, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his later, most recent stuff, but I've seen, uh, you know, considerable, considerable amount all the way through like Budapest hotel. And, uh, I'll say that I think that he really streamlines exactly what makes Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, which I think is the job of any artist. Um, so I think we're going to have a lot of cool things to say. Hopefully stick around, even though obviously I am biased. And I am bye bye. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.